everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live. It's great to have you here on this, the beginning of the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. It's, I guess it's pre-trial debate that they were having today. They hadn't really started the trial, but it certainly was interesting as they were discussing the constitutionality of trying someone who is out of office. It, of course, failed. 56 to 44 was the final count. And that does not mean, uh, does not all give well for what might be happening at a conviction. It certainly doesn't look like a conviction is that likely, but at least there's some sort of partisan or bipart bipartisan uh, commitment there to uh, convicting Trump. I'm joined tonight uh, by Glenn Kirshner, the very famed uh, federal prosecutor. Excellent. Hi, Glenn. How are you? How are you, Zev? Good to see you. I'm good. And Don Lewis is here, who many of you will know uh, from our reporting around the Fight Back Foundation. That was the foundation doing all the defending of uh, Mr. Kyle Rittenhouse in the last few months. So we'll get his opinion on how the Fight Back Foundation fitted into the whole uh, Stop the Steal uh, campaign that the Trump campaign originated. Um, but Glenn, I want to start with you. You're the prosecutor. How did, they, how did both sides do today? You know, so the House managers who serve as the prosecutors in the impeachment trial uh, blew me away, quite frankly, from Congressman Raskin's emotional um, opening and talk of, you know, what Donald Trump has done to our country. I mean, the zenith of his um, personal story was when he turned to his daughter and said, I promise you that next time you come back to the Capitol, it won't be like this. It will be safe. And she told her father, uh, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. Yeah, that play that clip later Donald, on. Unbelievable moments. That is what moments. Donald Trump has wrought. And from Raskins to Joe Neguse to David Cicilline, they were remarkable. I mean, I spent 30 years trying cases in courtrooms and, you know, I, I have rarely seen such great consistently uh, sort of quality lawyering as we saw from them. Contrast that with what Donald Trump's lawyers, I'm sorry to put air quotes around that, what their performance was like. There are two controlling uh, precedents here and Donald Trump's lawyers handled neither of them. One is the Constitution, and they failed to take on the fact that the Constitution says the Senate shall have the sole, uh, uh, the, the sole power to try all impeachments. Donald Trump was impeached while he was still president. The Constitution says the Senate has the sole power to try all impeachments. There's no footnote. There's no caveat. There's no asterisks. Yeah, doesn't I mean, say all impeachments unless the government official managed to resign, but quick. So I mean, that's a really crucial point. On. It's really important, right? They because they I mean, didn't take that on. You can't you right. can't ignore that fact. Sorry, keep going, keep going. Don't interrupt. Yeah, and then the second thing they failed to take on is the precedent. And now I use the word precedent advisedly because there are no Supreme Court cases that say this is how an impeachment hearing is supposed to go because there's something in the law called the political question doctrine. And it says the courts do not take up political questions. That's exclusively the province of the Congress and the executive branch, the, the legislative branch and the executive branch. That's why we don't have a Supreme Court case to look to for precedent. But what we do have is historical precedent because in our nation's history, we have done this exact thing multiple times. The marquee example is in 1876, when the Secretary of War, William Belknap, was impeached. He resigned. And guess what we did next? We tried, tried him, him in the Senate. 
Right. So there is historical precedent. I would call that political precedent. There are there's the plain language of the Constitution. And Donald Trump's defense team did nothing to take that on. And let me finish with this, Zev, because we lawyers like to use this phrase, and I know you guys have heard it before, right? But I think it applies here. When you have the facts on your side, you pound on the facts. When you have the law on your side, you pound on the law. When you have neither on your side, you just pound on the table. You make a lot of noise. You try to distract. I'm going to add one additional line to that saying, courtesy of what I saw Donald Trump's lawyers do today. When you don't have the law and you don't have the facts and you don't even have a table to pound on, then you pound on partisanship, cowardice, and weakness, Mm. because those three things resonate with those Republican senators. They're driven by partisanship, cowardice, and weakness. And just as they got the vote wrong, today, they're going to get the the vote wrong when they have the trial on the merits. Yeah, it certainly does seem like the Republicans want it both ways. I mean, they seem to be supportive of the idea that you can't convict and impeach a a sitting president. You can't indict a sitting president. And now they're also saying that you can't convict and impeach president, which means there's sort of a loophole, right? I mean, at some point, you've created a loophole where any president wants to do bad things can commit those crimes with impunity because there's that little window uh, towards the end of of his of their last term where they can do anything including uh, launch an insurrection and we saw him launch an insurrection and i mean mm-hmm. now if i were moving to the merits of this case and what i wouldn't give to be one of the house managers one of the prosecutors here mm-hmm. i would focus on two words i would focus on the word stop that's an action word Donald Trump had his troops assembled and he said, get down there and stop what's going on. Only one way to do that, bust in and stop it. And that's exactly what they did. Those were the natural and probable consequences of his words. And the law says you can infer that a person intends the natural and probable consequences of their words. The second thing I would focus on is the word steal. Because that proves that Donald Trump launched the insurrection from a platform of fraud because nothing was stolen. But he lied to that angry mob and said, they stole your vote. They stole me from you because I can no longer be your president. They're stealing your country. Get down there and stop it. And the, and the steal, that word, supplies the corrupt, corrupt intent the criminal mens rea, the guilty state of mind. When you launch something from a platform of fraud, you're guilty. Donald Trump is guilty. I don't believe enough Republican senators will vote that way, though. And so we were watching today the tape that they played, which was really remarkable at the start of the presentation, also included uh, elements of his speech and then also the taped video that he'd released later on Twitter, where he does nothing to try and stop these guys. I mean, there was just no attempt at any point to interrupt what he had arranged for that day. And after four hours of violence and a capital under siege, he just didn't do anything at all. I mean, that strikes me as the, the most important evidence in terms of his culpability here. Am I missing something? No. In fact, he, he sized them up even more. Right. He continued to inspire them. He said, I love you. Right. He, did he, and say that. he said these people are evil and they should never get away with what they've done. Now, he added, so go home. But come on, we know what message he was conveying. I mean, in a court of law, you give us a fair, independent jury. Donald Trump is guilty in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. We just have to get 
him indicted and get him into a court of law get on one from of Republicans. the many, many, many crimes that, yeah, that he's committed. I want to bring Nina Berlee in, uh, in here. Hi, Nina. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm so glad you're able to join us, a political journalist, Nina Burley, and also author of many books about Donald Trump. And Nina, you were watching from a political perspective today, and you've had some interesting reporting lately about how the whole event or the Stop the Steal event was funded. But tell us your initial thoughts about uh, about today. Well, I, I didn't hear the, your, the beginning of this, so I don't know if you've all said the same thing, but I mean, the... the uh, the, he's on the C team or the D team with the lawyers. We knew that, and uh, that was very that was very plain. Um, the, um, the I thought that the Raskin um, opener was incredibly moving. Um, you know the uh, his children under the desk. You know, I mean, we can relive this over and over and still be shocked by what happened. I mean, we you know. We're still kind of being pelted with these, you know, what the hell happened there? Um, yeah. We haven't fully absorbed it. So I thought that was a terrific opening for the for the house managers. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, if only five of them or six of them are going to vote, six of the R's are going to vote for uh, the constitutionality of this, then you know, clearly they're not going to punish him. And so I, I, you know, it, it, it can't be left to, uh, it can't be, it can't be left unpunished. I mean, this is, you know, I, I was reading Will Bunch's um, uh, column in the Philadelphia paper. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, a terrific uh, column this week. And he's, he points out, reminding us that, you know, Roger Stone led that Brooks Brothers riot in 2000. Mm-hmm. You know, again, another thing that was never, ever fully absorbed litigated in this country and you know we we got george bush we got iraq war we got climate change you know exponentially advanced um and then we got the meltdown the financial meltdown from that single from that riot Mm -hmm. and we've never we we allowed that to happen we did not go back you know, Obama came in, they did not go back. It was too late. They had to deal with this mess that they were left with. And I feel like Biden and the Democrats maybe this time are going to say, no, we can't, we can't let this stand. And if the impeachment does not go through, which it's not going to, I mean, you know, that will, all of that evidence will be out there. Mm. Um, you know, the Justice Department has to, has to act. Absolutely. Right? I, I mean, I come on. This is this is our country we're talking about. So they, you know, Merrick Garland. There has to be enough evidence. I mean, we forget the first. You know, again, we shouldn't say forget, but there are three years of criminality preceded this, and then this thing. And there's no question that it was a conspiracy. I mean, the work that that uh, Michael Hayden and those guys at Just Security are pulling out these the stuff that's coming out of Parlor with Michael Flynn, Roger Stone. Um, you know, his, the Trump's failure to do anything while it was happening, his 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 delight, his glee in it, that even shocked his enablers like Mark Meadows and those people. That's that's got to be something that the Justice Department can can work with. I, you know, so I, I you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a I, I would love to hear what Don thinks about this. But I, it seems to me that that that's the that's the solution. 
Well, then let's ask John. Let's get you in a second. I just want to get get from Glenn because he's got limited time today. There is a a big conspiracy that appears to be in operation here. It includes, of course, Roger Stone, Michael Flynn. It includes Rudy Giuliani. It includes uh, what's her name, the the lawyer who was going around, a supposed lawyer who was going around with her theories. Sydney, um, you know, and it's Don Trump Jr. is in there, and they seem to have fomented this movement for whatever purposes. And that movement seems to have included an attempt at insurrection on the, on January the sixth. I mean, that seems pretty plain when you look at the timeline. And I've done this in a video recently. I'll I'll play it later on in the show. But there is a conspiracy that seems to be afoot here. But none of those people are behind bars right now or have been indicted. Those those people are not getting indicted. Why is that not happening? Oh, because we are so early on in Joe Biden's administration. We really do have to get give give them a minute to get their governing right. legs up under them. Listen, just today we saw reported out that uh, President Biden is going to have all of the U.S. attorneys submit their resignations, which frankly is entirely ordinary because right. a president has every right to select the U.S. attorneys as recommended usually by the state senators in the state where those federal districts are located. That's the way it's done. And I have to tell you, I don't want to get sidetracked. I was thrilled when I saw the reporting that Joe Biden is going above and beyond on the appearance front because we don't want actual conflicts. We don't even want the appearance of conflicts as prosecutors. And he said, I'm not going to replace John Durham, who's been conducting the you know Russia witch hunt that has produced exactly one indictment. And I'm glad it did because it was of an FBI lawyer who altered an email that then was put into the evidentiary stream that made its way into a FISA application. He should be prosecuted. And he was. That's all Durham has found. And I suspect he hasn't found much more. And the other person Joe Biden said I will not replace is the U.S. attorney who oversees the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax issues. So that was Joe Biden saying, I'm not even going to to um, Interesting. Be, be criticized for interfering with those two investigations. I'm going to let them run their course, even if they are headed up by Trump appointees. I thought that was a beautiful move. Now, when it comes to why haven't they gone after the Stones and the Flins and the rest of the, this cabal, all of whom are been working, you know, to take down our democracy in one way or another. Merrick Garland hasn't even been confirmed yet. The acting AG, Monty Wilkinson, whom I love, he's a friend, he's a colleague, he was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, he's now acting Attorney General. He is simply a placeholder. Wonderful man, but I don't think they're going to be making bold decisions with an acting AG. Merrick Garland, he cut his teeth in my old office prosecuting Marion Barry. He really came into full as a prosecutor when he headed up the investigation and the supervision of the prosecution of the um, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing case. That was domestic terrorism at its worst and most dramatic. And Merrick Garland handled that masterfully. I have every confidence that give them time to purge all of the Trump corrosion from the Department of Justice and other agencies, and we are gonna see some governing the way it was meant to be. I'm confident of that. Well, that would be a really remarkable and important to happen. Uh, we were looking at the GOP today, and just one last question, I know you gotta go. Um, they seem to be complicit, I mean, in, at least in, 
it appears they're complicit in everything that has gone on with uh, the Stop the Steal campaign and the uh, the big lie, perpetuating the big lie. Yet they're also supposedly supposed to be impartial jurors in in a trial here. How does that actually work? Does it work? Because it doesn't seem like no, they'll it, get anything. It doesn't done. work. A trial is an exclusively and uniquely political proceeding. We call it a trial. I wish we didn't. I wish we called it an impeachment confirmation hearing. And we're just trying to confirm if people are going to hold Donald Trump accountable for his crimes. But so these jurors, these senators are the witnesses to the insurrection, the victims to the insurrection, and some of them are probably aiders and abettors to the insurrection, the Hawleys and the Cruises. So these are not jurors in any sense of that word. These are political, uniquely political animals. And unfortunately, Trump's defense team gave them the jurisdictional out today to hang their hat on, even though there is no legal support, no historical support, and no constitutional support for the arguments that give them that jurisdictional out. So this is not a trial, and it's misleading for us to even call it an impeachment trial. It's an impeachment proceeding. It's a hearing. It's right. not a trial. And it seems to be more intent on telling the public what we're doing more than the actual uh, Republicans. Uh, well, thanks so much, Glenn. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time tonight. I know you're incredibly I'm busy. I'm sorry to bounce. I was waiting to hear what Don had to say because no. I, I looked All right. well, you can, too. Well, you could, uh, you let could me, listen let, in. Yeah, let me, can I stay with about five absolutely, minutes? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been hogging the time here. <laughs> no, okay. Go ahead, Don. Uh, we we're going to uh, ask you about uh, your thoughts about today and how, how things ha- uh, went up from your perspective. <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry. Uh, Overarching point is Glenn's last point, right? It's not really a trial, right? It's it's not a trial. It's not even really a process or a confirmation hearing. You know, if you want to put it in trial terms, it's really just a kangaroo court, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a real trial, if you have a judge who has an interest in a case or a financial interest, usually they have to recuse themselves. Now, people can say whatever they want about what's going on with Donald Trump and the the politicians who support him, but there's definitely some some financial interests going on there as well, right? So you have ju- you have uh, politicians, you know, judging Trump's behavior. Not only do they potentially have a financial interest, but it looks like many of them were involved in this as well. Like whether or not this was planned or whatnot, the video that Raskin played at the beginning was incredible today. It was scenes that I hadn't seen when you juxtapose it, like what's happening in Congress, is what's going on outside. It's, it's really, really riveting. And then, you know, Zeb, you guys put out a uh, a video this morning as well that was very, very, very telling. And what you get from those videos and ones that, you know, I did with a friend and, you know, is there's no way this was a coincidence, right? Right. Like you have George Papadopoulos saying this is our 1776 moment the day before. You have this new, you know, uh, I don't know, Lauren, whatever her last name is, you know, the gun-toting Congress who's saying oh. this is our 1776. Yes. You have Donald Trump and his, and, and, and his friend, you're talking about I'm Donald Trump Jr. talking about fight. You have Rudy trial by combat. You have the insurrectionists outside saying we're getting in. Like you, you have stuff happening like this months ago. You have Roger Stone chatting with the guys before it happens. You have Roger Stone at the rallies the day before. Fight be good and evil. You have Trump going as far back as stand by. Mm-hmm. Right? This was a planned thing. It was coming. And the really, you know, to me, abhorrent part of it is. If you want to be upset that Trump wasn't convicted over Ukraine and people saying quid quo pro instead of bribes, like, you know, I think Glenn brought up Trump using steel as a fraudulent term. So it motivates people. One thing if you want to give Trump credit at one good thing. He's good at the narrative. Right. He very much WWE's the narrative, puts things in sound bites, terms people can understand they can move them. The Democrats don't always do that. Like quid quo pro should have been bribes. 
mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the other stuff is going here. It's like stop the steal. You know, this, they use those narratives. But to what, where the Democrats should be coming from is, you know, Ukraine bribes whatnot. But this literally was Donald Trump and others inciting people to attack the Capitol. Five people were killed. A Capitol officer was beaten to death where he's lying prone face down on the top of something. They had to shoot the woman, Ashley Babbitt, coming through. Congress people and their children are hiding under their desks. And if it wasn't for a few people standing up and it wasn't for that last tweet, we'd be looking at massive death. Finances, it's a matter of human decency. Mm-hmm. And your fellow, your government and your fellow human beings. I mean, they tried literally, in, in my opinion, to kill people. And that's very different from, you know, bribing a foreign politician to help you railroad somebody, which is abhorrent. But this is killing your own, you know, trying to kill somebody died at Capitol Police, citizens died, Congress people were fearing for their life. And I, I don't even see how anyone on that side can can live with that vote temporarily because you go home. You know, you have to live with it. You're going to be 20 years older later. Your your grandkids may see the videos, your kids. And unless you plan on raising your children with no ethics, morals, or human decency, I don't know how you go with that. You know, one other point Glenn made was, uh, you know, the, the children hiding under the desk during the um, interaction, right? And, you know, one good thing that I see from Trump being out of office and the way he's run the country, you know, I have nieces who are 7 and 10. Like my 10-year-old niece is very precocious. She asks a lot of questions. She's seeing things. How bad would it be for your kids you know, to have to grow up through eight years of this type of talk? And even, you know, you look at some of these junior Congress people on the, on the other side, they don't even know what it's like to be in properly functioning government. All they know is divisiveness, the other side is wrong, and then you hear these phony cries for unity, right? Yeah. And, and and I think, you know, whatever happened with Obama, it's going to happen with Biden, you know, I think Democrats need to start taking a stand and doing what they have to do because any calls from unity from the other side, to me, are not credible, they're not genuine, if you cannot unify over convicting Donald Trump over what happened here. You know, I'm going to build a little bit on what you're talking about there because you've got a potential here of, you know, what, what Stone and Flynn and, and that whole group are doing for Donald Trump was building a, a militia, sort of an armed wing of the Republican Party. That is not going away. I mean, this guy still thinks he is the 45th president, does not want to be referred to as a former president by people around him, set up an office where he doesn't even mention former. Um, and so he's obviously still got intentions to be politically active. Now he's got this militarized wing that he's developed, you know, with propaganda and God knows what infused into it. And there's no reason in my mind to suspect that, that he's going away. I mean, just because he's not in office does not mean that the Trump phenomenon is going to stop. We're going to continue to see a politically active group there. And I don't know what their final intentions are. I mean, they certainly are motivated by Russia's uh, foreign policy more than they are by ours. And it seems to me that they're still intent on some sort of insurrection or secessionist movement, maybe even to break away some states. Who knows what their intentions are? And and so this is not just about, you know, what's going to happen to generations from now. What are people going to be thinking? We are still dealing with a national security threat to America right now. I mean, that threat still exists. We, you know, the inauguration was another target for these people. It didn't happen because of, of the immense security that was put in there, but there's still an active organization out there trying to cause mayhem. And they will continue to do so the longer we allow people like Donald Trump to get away with things, which the GOP seems intent on doing. Well, they not I'll let others show, but the biggest thing you said at the end, which is the biggest problem here, and it's been for the last four years, and it's been for some time, is people don't face consequences for their actions. Right. It's the kind of thing you teach children. 
and it's what's wrong in the country now, you know, particularly white collar crime. And it's, there's just, if there's never any consequences, then people keep doing it, right? You know, he has to face some consequences and maybe that slows people down. I mean, like even on a minor level, this is different, but Dominion and Semantic, I think, suing Rudy Giuliani, right? Just a lawsuit, but a credible lawsuit, not the bogus lawsuits that the Republicans and Giuliani threatened, but credible lawsuits. What did that, what happened after that? Uh, Lou Dobbs got kicked off the show. Right. Fox was on the other day and somebody was going on about some nonsense. They cut the feed off. My pillow guy was on Newsmax. One of the people walked off the set. So that's not real consequences yet, but at least it's something. But real key consequences, like Glenn was saying, with or I think it was well arrests and real problems for basically trying to kill people would help. And you know, the, the last point is about you know what are the motives? I honestly think there's competing motives. You know, I defer to others on Russia's control of Trump and all that and whatnot. But you know, I see Donald Trump's motive. I mean, you know, he could be a puppet and being operated. And that's you know, I can't opine on that. But from his standpoint, the only thing I think won't face Donald Trump is money, greed, and his personal ego. So if he feels that he has this army around him and he's able to grift these lawsuits, make $170 million, $250 million, he'll do anything, right? And then, you know, what other people who are maybe controlling him may have more nefarious ends like what you were talking about. You know, I believe that to the others too, you know, opine on it. But I see Donald Trump as a very simple person who is immensely insecure. Uh, he, he needs the feed of the crowd. It doesn't matter who they are. And I think his daughter, his, uh, Mary Trump, his niece, even said, I thought one of the most telling things she said is that he goes to these rallies, they fire him up, makes him feel important. You look at someone like Donald Trump, how many genuine friends do you think that guy has in his life? How many people do you think he sees? He's the loneliest man in the world. There, yeah, exactly. And the last thing I'll say, like the, the Mary Trump point, and then I'll defer, is she said he does these rallies, he loves the adulation of these people, but he wouldn't let one of them into his house for dinner, right? right? right. Or, or, for, or for things like that. So it kind of gives you an, an insight to what, how he's, you know, how he's operating. But I think Nina, it's that lonely, loneliest person in the world who has some level of power and it just makes him dangerous. It's so important. And you've done a lot of interesting work about how much money they're making off these different campaigns, how much, you know, uh, Stop the Steal is a money-making endeavor for them. For the Fight Back Foundation is a money-making endeavor. This is a business they're operating, and they don't care about many of the other things that they're There's doing. There's even, a, you, know, you know, Lincoln's Bible posted a, um, a video the other day, and somebody else reposted it, but it, it, people probably seen it. Roger Stone is on a balcony somewhere in a black shirt, and he's appealing to the Stop the Steal crowd. But while he's doing it, he's inflaming, inciting but he's also asking for money. So it was like the perfect two minutes yep. of grifting and inciting all in one. Like if you needed a textbook, that was it. And that's what it is. It's, it's you, know, you know, stoke the hate, ask people for the money, demonize the other, because there's a good portion of this country that life is just not good for whatever reason. And no matter what you push at them, as long as you say the other is the bad guy, it will rally them up and the other is brown people or Jewish people or the Muslim people. And my life sucks now because of these other people. There's no personal accountability, right? It's not, you know, right. my life sucks because I just don't do anything, right? That's, that's what they should be saying. But instead, what Donald Trump feeds into these people, they feel left out. They feel they don't have a seat at the table. But rather than actually, you know, trying to do something productive to do it, he, he feeds right into that and has rallied them up to become a little army. And then, you know, to your point of building the army, I mean, you look at the people, you know, you know, Trump has associated with, right? Like he got very close with Eddie Gallagher. 
where he got close with Michael Flynn. You know, he's close with Bernie Carrick. These are guys who've all, you know, done things. You know, they can do things if they have to do with violence and that type of thing. So building up the, um, you know, the army kind of from within, it, I think it's a credible narrative. There was no legal accountability. There was no law and order for four years. That's the piece. That's the accountability piece that we have to insist comes now. Mm -hmm. And Merrick Garland's Department of Justice has to dig into all of it. Let the criticism come. It will not be a political vendetta. It will be a law and order vendetta because we've had no law and order for four years. So that's the only place left for the American people to get accountability. It's from the Department of Justice. And I do believe that's coming. And I'm sorry I have to bounce. And I no enjoyed being on with all y'all. Glenn, you're terrific. Thanks very much for your time today. And we appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Yes, that's Glenn Kirshner. His podcast is called Justice Matters. So check it out. Um, you know, I just want to I just want to say to 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 the point that Don was making about his nieces or whoever your daughters, I think, who, who who've never seen a government that's functioning that that is mm -hmm. you know if you're young, and I think you know and, uh, and these junior freshmen, junior um, sorry, uh, Congress people. I think that you could argue that that goes back much further than Trump. I mean, Trump, you know, Trump's sort of the the logical uh, result of what these Republicans have been doing since, you know, since Newt Gingrich and the contract with America. I mean, that when they just stopped following the rules and they just started, you know, putting together this um, this notion of, you know, the rev the revolution. You know, bringing, bringing, uh, you know, st stopping brown people from taking our stuff. And socialists are everywhere. And if it's not socialists, it's radical Islamic terrorism. It's everything but the white supremacists who are, who are fo foaming at the mouth, and who they've now incorporated into their movement. It is a sociopathic movement, and and Donald Trump is a sociopath. But it's it's metastasized so that all of these people are are acting like sociopaths. And the problem for the Democrats is, you see this if you read about Hitler's rise. Um, people who are confronted, you know, normal people who are confronted with that kind of behavior, respond. As if the other person is just is just it's, it's moderately aber aberrant, but it, they they try to normalize because that's what people do. You saw what they were doing. That's how Hitler rose. Mm -hmm. the, the enablers of Hitler early on were, you know, that you could. There's this terrific book called The Order of the Day, tiny little book, and it just relives some of the interactions of Hitler with, um, you know, a banker or the um, the Austrian. Uh, Chancellor, when he's about to take over, or uh, or um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the uh, the the Brit who who sat down. What's his anyway? The, the, these these leaders and, and diplomats who had to deal with him were dealing with him as though they were dealing with a normal situation. Right. right. And the whole country has now been sort of abused this way and tried to deal with this as a normal situation. And it's not a normal situation. I mean, Rudy Giuliani, it, it, just this, today, there were one of his, one of his cohorts said he showed up at that, you know, when his, when he was, when his hair dye was, was bleeding at the Four Seasons, he had had like three triple scotches before he showed up. I mean, the guy's an alcoholic. You know, if you don't believe me, Olivia Nuzzi wrote about it. I mean, he stumbles, he drools. 
this, this man is at the pinnacle of power. It's a seat of power. That's how grotesque our country has become, that we are looking at these people, these bloated, bloated on power and literally bloated on alcohol and, and you know, mentally deranged, and they are running things. Mm-hmm. And we're acting, you know, we're, we're, and, and the Republicans who are, who are going to go along with this, that it's, it's just mind-boggling. So, uh, you know, it is, it's, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental, it's a derangement syndrome. It really is. And, and it's going, and, and the, you know, the Democrats, I think Biden is, you know, they're handling it in, in such a low-key way. And I think that's the way you handle it. I think that they're, you know, and hopefully they'll, they'll move into consequences. Yeah. There has to be consequences. These people are bloated on power. They're bloated. They're out of their minds with it. They're drunk Americans, on power and literally drunk. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I mean, I think Americans have been through so much torment in the last four years, and you know, I, I get to see some of this because I'm living in Canada. I get to see it a little differently than uh, than I did when I was in the United States, which was a year ago. But it's, the last year has been a parade of tragedy and insult and and. and more insulted, more tragedy. It's been really tough, and it's been tough to watch. And I don't think the allies have been um, there for America in the way that they should have been. I mean, this has been equivalent to uh, being the victims in a world war, and and the world is not standing by America's side in the way they used to. In fact, they're using it as an excuse to bash America, which makes no sense to me. Fine, you can bash Trump, but he's not even a legitimately elected president. So why why are you taking it out on America? Why is America standing, lessening in the world? And I think there's a lot there that still uh, needs to be exposed in terms of who's really involved and who's really, you know, the power brokers in the world who might might be really involved in in building this alliance that, that gave us Donald Trump. I think we're gonna be surprised at the end of the day uh, by who it is that was involved in that. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.